You're making one right decision today. You're listening to Handcuffs and Sage. Three badass moms bringing you all the true crime and paranormal your heart desires. I'm Red. I'm Timo. I'm Dre. And don't let your kids listen. Seriously, just don't. Hey, it's yeah. Handcuffs and Sage. Woo! Happy Thanksgiving. This is Red. Hey, this is Timo. Hey, this is Dre. <laughs> Guess we're on a delay. Oh my yeah. goodness. We're on a slight <laughs> delay. I bet that's fun to listen to. Oh yeah. Beautiful. So sure this is a, a, a like little mix. Uh, we're mixing it up today. We're going to be uh, having Thanksgiving tomorrow, which is crazy. I can't believe we're at this time of year where Thanksgiving is tomorrow, y'all. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. So and we we didn't release Tuesday because we wanted to do a, something special for Thanksgiving. It's it's mm-hmm. really just our normal things, right? I mean, we're just Mi- telling mixing you, mixing it up. Yeah, we're just mixing it up, and we're giving it to you on Thursday instead of Tuesday. That is correct, Timo. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> I I'm glad you know what day it is. I I'm having a real hard time lately knowing what day it is. Mm. yeah same mm-hmm. yeah Not everything me. seems like a big old jumble all the time oh. um so maybe i should get you know get with it get with the okay. program red let's do this you know i'll work on it uh i uh found something that i had never heard of before and this has been happening a lot i always thought i knew every little thing about true crime and i guess i guess red doesn't know everything and that mm-hmm. that's hard that's hard. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's hard. I'm it's glad hard. you're admitting it for once. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Write it down. It's, it's going to be the only thing. It's test. good. I'm glad that you're finding stuff that it, you can get excited about and you can tell us and you're like learning it yourself too. So that's fun. Yes. Yes. Um, so are you guys ready for tomorrow? I think yeah. so. I'm I'm cooking. I'm just cooking for my mom and my boys. Mm-hmm. I usually do a turkey mm-hmm. and I usually brine it like a week prior. But yes. we usually don't finish the turkey and it's such a waste and not a lot of us like the dark meat and whatever. So I just got a turkey breast um, instead. Okay. Took it okay, out of idea. my fridge uh, about an hour ago it's still frozen solid so it's not going to get brined but hopefully it'll thaw out overnight and then Mm -hmm. I'll just have to like season it up and do some good stuff oh I might do some like really cool like seasoned butter and like rub that under the skin and then uh, on top of the skin it's going to be a total keto Thanksgiving that does sound good it does sound good I make a wild rice sausage stuffing and I put um, oh, wow. like artichoke hearts in it and it's so yummy, but I'm not, cause I'm doing keto. I'm not doing that. And I'm like, I hope you guys know I'm not doing stuffing this year. I am doing mashed potatoes for them, but I'm going to okay. do like a cauliflower, like a cheesy cauliflower, cauliflower okay. for me. I'm doing some Brussels and I'm going to do a keto. You're doing pie. Brussels. I'm doing Brussels sprouts. <laughs> that's the way the oh cool kids God. say it red oh that's why i don't say it that way i'm not cool <laughs> <Dang it. laughs> i'm a nerd 
Oh my gosh, that all sounds so so good. It really does. Mm-hmm. Sounds mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does it sounds good, Dre? What are your plans, girl? Everybody so is I- dying to know. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be great guys. So I, I always make a ham. So I was trying oh, to get wow. out of it this year. Yeah. Cause my mom and my sister both do the Turkey, which is cool. Mm-hmm. They can keep their turkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> my mom was just talking about how, uh, she had like an episode really kind of crazy episode where she, she kind of seized up at home no. by herself. Um, oh, no. Like she got like arthritic, like her hands got stuck in position, her toes curled. Um, she no, freaked out. Jay, no. Yeah. So she doesn't know what happened to her. They did all kinds of labs. I think she had like an electrolyte deficiency because she mm-hmm. went, I don't know if you guys, I know you've heard this red. Well, yeah. Called, when like, you're on keto, keto, when you're on keto, yeah, that happens right. all the time. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? You just drink with, like a shit ton of pickle juice pickle juice yes that's correct <laughs> mm-hmm. so wow so we do that and then um she did that she loves pickles and she said she started <laughs> to feel better but she said she was like walking like a zombie and she's like super tense she can't lift her right shoulder up so there was no way she was going to be able to do like she usually oh, does no. like potato salad and and like the whole big old 20 pound turkey you know so she i was like you're not doing that this year so i had this great idea that we would order stone fire grill Oh yeah, girl. I mean, like we don't have to have turkey anyway. No. Um, yeah. Uh-uh. So I, that's actually where I was coming home from right before oh, this. Oh my gosh, girl. They, that's a lot. They lost my order. It was <gasps> oh shit yeah. balls. Dre, like, you I do what you want. Week. You do what you want, and then you make <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> well, they found it. I don't know how they found it, but I was like, you better fucking get this order. So that's it was, right. Bitch. I stayed there for like. 30 minutes waiting for this order they probably were making it but um yeah so we, we got stone fire grill we're having tri-tip and lemon pepper chicken and yes potatoes, mm. cauliflower the whole the whole thing and that's yeah. very oh. good very good yeah. that you know what you do what you want you figure yeah. it out i hope your mama feels perfect and wonderful very very soon yeah I that's think scary will. This is, so this is funny. So I'm like, cool. I don't have to make a ham. And then guess what? My brother's like, Hey, I have something for you. You should come pick it up. And I I come (laughs) over like, I don't know, like three o'clock and it's a freaking ham. Oh no, honey. (laughs) Ham is easy to cook, girl. You just pop it in the oven and leave it alone. That's it. Yeah. I I do it every Mm -hmm. year. So I, it's okay, but I was just like, I'm gonna be warming up all this stone fire food. I don't, you know, whatever. I'm what are you doing, my Red? sister and her fan band come over because they've already had the Rona, right? So right. Mm-hmm. they're coming over. Um, and I I'm like hosting, so I feel a lot of pressure for it to be mm-hmm. a lot of fun and a good time. We usually get together with my whole family at my dad's house, and I love it. Like it's my favorite time of the year. We're not doing that this year. And that's really hard. But yeah. I have, you know, I have four games to play. Ooh. The tables are looking good. I am doing turkey and stuffing. And I, it's a stuffing with apples, celery, and raisins. So, Ooh. you know, yeah, my mother-in-law's recipe. Uh, my son is in charge of the mashed potatoes. And he is taking this very seriously love him you guys I love it this conversation is non-stop about the mashed potatoes he keeps reading <laughs> me awesome. the recipe yeah 
he's all about it. I just want us to have a good time and, and enjoy, you know, the people we do get to be with tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. It'll be you gotta fine. make everything the best. Will be fine. Yeah, you gotta make the best of what is happening because mm-hmm. it's a real shit time in the world right now. And it is. I think I've emotionally been okay through this whole thing because I'm kind of like a homebody and I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I can hang at home, whatever. Sure. I don't know what it is, but just like recently, it's kind of really hitting me like depression. Oh, really? Part. And I just wanted oh, to honey. say, just wanted to say that. I love you guys. I love the podcast. Aww. I love our listeners. If I didn't have you guys, like you guys are like my saving grace. Um, I was looking, that's why I was early today. Two other people in this podcast are, are not very professional. And they I were don't good. know who you're talking about, <laughs> so, but that's rude. Chemo was that like ready <laughs> at like, okay, well, you know, t- 750, <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm so excited. And then, yeah. Are y'all ready? I'm ready. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Buckle up. Let's do it. Do it. Do it. Um, <laughs> I pieced together my notes. So hang tight, everybody. Let's see how amazing this sounds. <laughs> Are they half printed and half written? Yes. You fancy. I, I am always fancy. <laughs> That's correct. Um, but let me tell you, I got a lot of really amazing information from Murderpedia. Um, mm. I watched a bunch of like news reports and, and things on this story. And so I really pieced a lot of this together. So that's why it looks like a ransom note over here. Cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, my lovelies, let's do it. Thanksgiving Day, November 28th. 1985. Ooh, the 80s, girl. Love it. Mm. Joe Blount, Angela Blount, Robert Blount, Michael Columbus, Susan Blount, and Carl Ray Blount celebrated Thanksgiving together in the Blount's trailer in the suburbs of Fort Worth, Texas. Robert was the son of Susan and Joe Blount. Carl Ray, so that must have been his nickname, Ray, was the brother of Joe Blount. Michael Columbus was Carl's long estranged son. After the family ate Thanksgiving dinner, Ray Blount went home around 5 p.m. Around 9 p.m., Susan Blount went to lie down for a nap. Well, Thanksgiving, that turkey is hitting hard. She's like, I am done. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling this. Okay. Joe Blount drove Robert, Angela, and Michael to a convenience store about half a mile from the park where they bought snacks and beer. That's a good way to spend Thanksgiving. Mm. Love it. Snacks and beer. (laughs) Susan Blount soon heard a knock at the front door. She looked out the window but but didn't see anyone outside, so she returned to her nap. When the rest of the family returned from the convenience store... They discovered a briefcase on the doorstep. (laughs) The three teenagers were excited because they thought the briefcase might have either money or jewels in it. Okay, so (laughs) this is absolutely happening in the 80s, right? In the (laughs) 80s, we all thought a million dollars was in a briefcase anytime (laughs) you saw a briefcase because of movies. And like always, every limousine you saw was Michael Jackson. (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) I understand this thinking. 
So mm-hmm. these teenagers are excited about this mystery briefcase on the doorstep. After bringing the briefcase inside, Angela opened the latches and it exploded. <gasps> no. Mm-hmm. Three members of the Blount family were killed in this explosion. Joe Blunt, 44 years old, his daughter, Angela, 15 years old, and her cousin, Michael Columbus, was 18 years old. Susan and her son were injured, but they did survive. Okay. So this is going to be a mix of a lot of different people that were all affected by this event. Okay. Michael Roy Tony grew up in Cottonwood, California, a small town that was about 90 miles away from Sacramento. His father left the family early in his life and his mother worked in local taverns. She would bring home a number of men who would beat her and her sons. (gasps) To escape this, Michael would often retreat to a shed where Tony When Tony was nine or 10 years old, one of her boyfriends, this is awful, you guys, strapped him to a chair, duct taped his wrists down, and set fire to his hands. (gasps) What? Nine years old. And this piece of shit boyfriend of your mom's is setting your hands on fire. So this is just shocking and sad that this is, this was his life, okay? Mm-hmm. When he was 15, another one of her, his mother's boyfriends attacked him with a fishing gaff and gouged a huge hole in his hip. What the fuck? He, yeah, he quit school before the 10th grade and left for Texas, settling down in Hearst Yules. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, please don't let us know if it's wrong. He married a woman named Kim when he was 38 years old. In June 1997, Tony was in jail awaiting a hearing for a burglary that happened in 1993. Here, he was talking to Charles Jack Ferris in Parker County Jail in Weatherford, Texas. The two men began talking about the bombing. Ferris was then released from jail by telling the Parker County authorities that Tony had confessed to him. After Ferris told the authorities, the investigators questioned Tony's ex-wife. In the beginning, Miss Tony told prosecutors, Michael killing people in a bombing, that's nuts, you're nuts. But Miss Tony decided to do some research on the case. When she realized what had taken place, she called federal agents and told her story. Soon after, Tony was indicted for capital murder. Months had passed and Ferris had changed his story about Tony's alleged confession to the crime. Ferris explained how Tony had come up with the story in order to get him out of jail earlier. He told investigators that Tony and me made up the entire thing. So if you're following along here, you guys, Michael and this guy, Jack, are 
sitting there in jail, right? Mm-hmm. And they decide that they're going to tell these investigators, these authorities, that Michael confessed to it and he would tell them all about it to get him out of jail early. That was mm-hmm. their amazing idea. Mm-hmm. This is a dumb idea. Never confessed Absolutely. to anything. How about that? <laughs> right? Never confessed right. to anything. He did it to get out of jail. He said, Michael confessed to this bombing, and now I'm out. But then later, he's saying, just kidding. We made the whole thing up, and this is why we did it. Okay? Wow. Are we all together here? Okay. The trial started in May 1999 in Fort Worth, Texas. Susan and Robert Blount gave their testimony as to what happened that day. Then the testimony from his ex-wife, his ex-best friend, and another cellmate occurred. His ex-wife, Miss Tony, said that her, Tony, and his best friend, Chris Meeks, went to a propane shop that was adjacent to the Hilltop Mobile Home Park. She says that Tony got out of the truck with a briefcase and disappeared. She then says he returned without the briefcase. And then they went to the nature center and stayed for several hours. Her testimony also included that Tony shot a beaver with a rifle while they were at the nature center. Why are people shooting at beavers? What does that beaver do to you? And then nature center like supposed to be like, hey animals, we love you. He's just going around shooting beavers. So this is her testimony, okay? A cellmate of Michael Tony, Finnis Blankenship, testified that Tony told him that he was paid five thousand dollars for the murders. Blankenship also said that Tony, the murders were part of a drug-related hit, but the bomb was put on the wrong doorstep. Mm. Mm. Yeah. His testimony came in in the second phase of the trial. This helped the judge decide whether Tony deserved to be executed. This testimony showed the jury that Tony had a motive for the crime. At the current time, Blankenship was facing two counts of indecency with the child. Oh my God, disgusting, you piece of shit. And habitual criminal charges. So he says that he agreed to testify against Tony in exchange for having the charges dropped. So this predator of children was testifying at trial uh, to get all of his charges dropped. What in the actual fuck? Like, really, district attorney? Really? Yeah. Really? Really? I mean, should always, and it, and it works, too. That's the worst part. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's, it's awful. Blankenship now says that his testimony was a lie. Chris Meek's testimony didn't coincide with all of Miss Tony's testimony in many ways. Meeks changed his story four times. Okay. All right. This reminds me of Serial and Adnan Syed with people yeah. changing up their stories all the goddamn time. 
At first, he told the investigators that he knew nothing about the bombing as well as the grand jury. He also failed a polygraph test. In 2001, he signed an affidavit taking back the things he said during his testimony. He says that my testimony about the events that happened on Thanksgiving Day, 1985, may not have happened on that day. Okay, mm-hmm. so here is Michael's alibi, all right? <laughs> he said that he did not hear about the crime until 1997. So eight years after the bombing, that's when he says that he learned about the bombing, okay? He said that he had never been to the Hilltop Mobile Home Park and that he didn't even know it existed until just prior to his trial. Miss Tony and Mr. Meeks say that Tony was driving a truck on the, on the night of the bombing. However, Tony says that he didn't buy that truck until December 13th, 1985, a month after the incident. Oh. So they testify at trial and he's saying this is why their testimony is garbage right? None of this lines Mm -hmm. up, right? He's saying, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. I just said it to help my friends get out of jail early. Michael was convicted and given the death penalty. Mm. Yes. So there is a magazine called Justice Denied. And this is a letter that Michael Tony wrote this magazine talking about wrongly convicted people in Mm. prison, okay? Mm. So he is writing this from prison to this magazine and they printed it. So I'm gonna read you the letter. Wow, okay, That's in this magazine, okay? The magazine is for the wrongly convicted and this is called Justice Denied. Here is his letter. Convicted by lies, Michael Tony tells his story with a plea for help to save him from being killed by the state of Texas. If you're persuaded that he is innocent, please help. Hmm. My name is Michael Roy Tony. I'm on Texas death row awaiting execution. I was convicted in May of 1999 of a bombing that occurred in Lake Worth, Texas on November 28th 1985. This terrible crime took the lives of three people. Their names are Joe Blount, 42 years old, his 15-year-old daughter, Angela, and his nephew, Michael Columbus, who was 18 years old. The bombing happened on the evening of Thanksgiving 1985, and the crime went unsolved for 14 years. The crime is still unsolved but the case has been closed because of my conviction. To say my conviction and subsequent death sentence is a miscarriage of justice would be a definite understatement. I am innocent and can prove it. Shouldn't every effort be made to keep an innocent man from being put to death? I don't like to use the word executed because it's not an execution when the person being put to death is innocent. It's murder. Shouldn't every 
effort be made to bring the true murderers to justice. I hope the things I'm going to tell you in this letter cause you to answer yes to both of these questions. The crime I've been convicted of and sentenced to death for is a briefcase bombing on a home in Lake Worth, Texas. This crime was the longest running investigation in the history of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. It was featured on the television shows America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries, both mm. fave shows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the report says someone put a briefcase on the Blount family's porch and they carried it inside and opened it. When it was opened, it exploded and they were killed. There were two survivors, Joe's wife, Susan, and their son, Robert. During the long investigation, no motive was determined and no arrests were made, at least not until my indictment and arrest on December 4th, 1997. During the charade of a trial, no motive was given. I say charade of a trial because that's exactly what it was. The entire trial centered on lies. I'll get to that later. There are only theories as to why the bombing happened and no evidence to support any theory. Since the trial, I've received numerous letters from people saying they know I'm innocent because they know who really did the bombing and why it was done. Yes. I have learned who really did the crime and why they did it. The real murderers will remain free to commit more murders if I don't somehow get people to listen to my pleas and get the investigation reopened. I spent Thanksgiving 1985 at my friend Chris Meek's home in Keller, Texas. Present that day were Chris, his mother, his stepfather, his girlfriend, and I. That evening, I received a phone call from my girlfriend, Kim, who I later married on March 4th, 1986. We divorced in 1989. Kim called to tell me she was leaving her family get together and was going to her apartment. We had agreed to meet at her apartment that evening. I got in my car and left Keller by myself. Chris stayed home with his family. Kim and I had just met less than a month prior, so we were still in the phase of our relationship where we spent every minute we could together. Well, damn, I'm still in that. I'm still in that. 20 years later. Okay, just kidding. Forever. Forever, ever. Forever, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to jump ahead to 1997 now. In June of 1997, I met a man named Benny Joe Toole. This was actually the second time we had met. We first met in 1990, but we didn't realize that until we had talked for a little while. Benny was telling me about a polygraph test that he had just taken regarding the Lake Worth bombing. I believe I asked him what that was all about. He said that he and his friend, Mikey Huff, were suspects in the briefcase bombing in Lake Worth. At this point, I'm all ears because I hadn't heard anything about the bombing other than the Oklahoma City bombing. We've all heard of that, right? 
Mr. Tool later said that he told me about it in 1990 when we first met. To this day, I don't remember him telling me about it prior to June of 1997. Tool went on to tell me that someone had dropped a briefcase off on someone's porch in Lake Worth and that it exploded, killing the whole family. He didn't give me any more details. It was all new to me. I hadn't heard about it on the news or read about it. The following month, I told a man named Charles Ferris everything that Tool had told me. To make a very long story a little shorter, on December 4th, 1997, I was indicted for capital murder of multiple victims in regard to the bombing. When the ATF agent and the Texas investigators served me with the indictment, I told them the exact truth. I told them about what Mr. Tool had told me and that I didn't know anything other than what he had told me. At that point, I was in shock and couldn't believe what was happening. I especially couldn't believe that I had been indicted of something another man told me about. I didn't even know where in Lake Worth the crime happened or that it happened in 1985. They asked me where I was on November 28, 1985. I couldn't remember where I was 12 years prior. I don't know where I was this morning, honestly, yeah. y'all. Can you guys think of what you did this morning? I mean, if somebody no asked you, where were you 12 years ago? I, I don't know. Let me check my calendar. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd be checking Facebook or something. Right? right. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even sure if I was in the state of Texas or if I was still working in Alaska. It took me a few days to put things together and get over the shock of being indicted for capital murder and the fact that I was facing the death penalty. I finally realized that I had returned to Texas in October of 1984. I had to find a major event in my memory that happened after I came to Texas and then organize dates around that. I knew it was around Halloween when I came back to Texas, but I wasn't sure what year it was. I remembered the Delta Flight 191 crash at DFW Airport. That stuck in my mind because I was close by when it happened and it left a serious imprint on my memory. I know it happened in the summer because it was really hot and it was my first summer back in Texas. I did a little research and found out the crash happened on August 5th, 1985, which meant I had come back to Texas in October of 1984. That made it clear that I was in Texas when the bombing happened. When I told the investigators that a man named Tool told me about the bombing, it was obvious that they were surprised or angered by that information. I think back on it now, and I believe they were surprised because of the fact that Tool had been a suspect. I told the investigators that I was willing to take a polygraph or whatever it took to prove I didn't know anything about the bombing. A few days later, on a Friday evening about 9 p.m., they brought Mr. Tool to the jail. When I saw him, I was happy and said, yes, I told you I was telling the truth. That's the man that told me about the bombing. Mr. Tool looked at me, shook his head yes, and said, yeah, that's him. I told <gasps> him about it. The following Monday evening, 
they took me to Dallas to a man named John Lemon. He was a forensic psychologist and polygraph examiner. When we first got there, I met my attorney and filled out a questionnaire that asked me about my health, what medications I took, and some other personal questions. After that, my attorney and I went into another office and went over the paperwork that I had to do with the test. It seemed like this took about two hours. I knew it was getting pretty late. We waited for them to prepare the test. Finally, they came back and took me into another office where the polygraph machine was. I sat down in the examining chair and Mr. Lemon said he'd be right back, walked out and shut the door behind him. I sat there, looked around the room and realized they were watching me on closed circuit television. The camera was mounted in the corner. After about 10 to 15 minutes, Mr. Lemon came back in and sat down like we we're about to start the test. He said something like, there's more to this than what someone told you and went on to tell me all about his credentials and how he would get the truth. I remember saying, I'm counting on that. I'm ready to take the test. These aren't exact quotes, but they're close. The next thing he said was something like, I believe you'd be a fascinating subject and I would really like to get to know you, but I'm sorry, I can't test you. He then got up and walked out of the room. I never saw him again. Mm. The investigators Lame. told us, mm -hmm, the investigators told us they needed a doctor's release before they could test me. I got the release the next day, but to this day, I've never mm. been tested. Shut up. Mm -hmm. Wow. I know. Stuff like this enrages me. Mm -hmm. About 18 months later, the trial started. During the 18 months before the trial, I had investigators and my attorney try to locate my ex-wife, Kim, and my old friend, Chris Meeks. I hadn't seen Kim seen Kim since 1989 and I hadn't seen Chris since the spring of 1986. I thought for sure if we could find them the whole matter would be resolved. I thought they would tell the truth and the whole nightmare would be over. Boy was I wrong. Kim and Chris were the state's star witnesses. Oh my god. They were the entire case. Kim testified that when the ATF agents first questioned her, she didn't know anything about the bombing and just like me, hadn't heard about it. She said, Mike never mentioned it and I don't know anything. A few weeks after investigators questioned her, she went to the public library and read all the old news stories about the bombing. That's what we had to do. No Google, go to the library mm -hmm. and look it up, mm. right? Yep. Kim said that while she was reading the newspapers, she realized that the bombing happened within a couple miles of a place that we went fishing. She called the ATF back and told them about going fishing at the nature center in Lake Worth. I can't quote her exact trial testimony, but it went something like this. 
On the night of Thanksgiving 1985, Mike and Chris came to my apartment and we decided to go fishing. We all got in the truck and went to Lake Worth. When we got there, we stopped at a propane place and Mike got out and got a briefcase from under the toolbox that was in the bed of the truck. He walked off with the briefcase and came back without it. We then went down onto the road into the nature center where we hung out for a few hours until after midnight. Just before we left there, there was a splashing noise in the water. So Mike and Chris went and got their rifles out and Mike shot a beaver. Then we left. What the fuck? I don't get this <laughs> beaver's story. <laughs> Under cross-examination, she said that she didn't hear any sirens, see any emergency vehicles or hear an explosion, nor did she ever see a bomb. Why didn't she hear an explosion or hear sirens? I'll tell you why not. One, we didn't go fishing on Thanksgiving. Two, we didn't even leave her apartment on the night of Thanksgiving. What else is wrong with her testimony? One, I didn't have the truck on November 28th. 1985. I didn't get it until December. Two, according to the National Weather Service, November 28, 1985 was the coldest day of November. The high was 42 degrees and the low was 31 degrees with winds up to 15 miles per hour. That is cold. I am not leaving my bed and my heating pad to be anywhere. Okay. That is cold. Three, the two rifles weren't purchased until December 18th and December 19th, 1985, per ATF gun register records. What the fuck then? Come on. Yeah. There you go. Four. The toolbox that she said was on the truck was bought for my birthday on December 29th, 1985. Check the records. At this point, it's pretty clear what I'm getting at, but I will explain anyway. We didn't go fishing on the night of Thanksgiving. I don't know anyone that would. It's not even possible for things to happen that way with Kim. We couldn't go to the lake in a truck that didn't exist at the time. I couldn't get a briefcase out from under a toolbox that was in the bed of a truck that didn't even exist. And I shouldn't, mm -hmm. and I couldn't shoot a beaver with a gun that didn't exist yet. It doesn't make sense for anyone to hang out at the lake for hours in the middle of the night when it's 30 some degrees, right? Hello. Right. We did go to Lake Worth Nature Center and go fishing one night, but it wasn't on Thanksgiving. How can I be so sure that something that happened so long ago? It's simple. The records prove that I'm telling the truth. When we did go to the lake, it was in the truck that we got in December. I did shoot a beaver. Oh, come on, Michael. Oh, I was hoping that was a lie. <laughs> I know, right? I did shoot a beaver with a Ruger Model 1022. That was bought on December 19th, 1985. My I birthday. didn't, <laughs> it's a good day, girl, good day. 
I didn't know it was a beaver at the time. I thought it was a muskrat or a nutrient rat. Oh, he thought it was a rat, not a cute Ew, little Oh, yeah, those nutrient okay. rats cool. are gross You're looking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give Michael a pass on this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chris Meek's testimony was different from Kim's, but it did corroborate her testimony. They both committed perjury and got an innocent man sentenced to death for a crime another man told him about. Chris couldn't answer a single question without looking to one of his three statements as if they were a script. He didn't have any idea what was going on and he was scared to death. Somehow he was forced to testify falsely. By whom? I'm not positive, but I have a good idea. I was convicted of a crime another man told me about. I was convicted solely for the lies of two people. Perjured testimony got me sentenced to death. If you're like most people, you're thinking, why would someone voluntarily lie and get an innocent man sentenced to death? This is where I have to speculate on a few things. I have a different theory, but one of them seems to prove more correct than the others. I think Kim talked to her boyfriend after the ATF interviewed her, and they went together to the library. I think they may have gone to the scene of a crime to put a story together. I think the agents told her about the substantial reward, and she relayed that information to her boyfriend and he talked her into lying for the reward. That mm. is awful, that mm. is awful. I'm speculating when I say that, but that's the only thing that makes sense. Some of the things she said were absolute lies. For instance, the briefcase. I didn't own a briefcase until 1988 or 1989. And everything she said about stopping at a propane place is a complete lie. I've never in my life been to the place where the crime happened. I didn't even find out exactly where it happened until just before my trial. What really confuses me is why Chris Meeks lied. I don't understand that at all. The only explanation is that it just went along with whatever the investigators said. The only way I can see that happening is if he was somehow threatened. After the trial and after I was sentenced to death, Kim brought my 12-year-old daughter to the jail to see me. It was a very intense emotional experience for me because I hadn't seen her in 10 years. I had tried everything to see her but couldn't ever find her. The first thing Kim said to me during the visit was, I don't love you anymore. <gasps> I was thinking to myself, that's pretty obvious. Right. She then said, I know you're not a murderer. I just assumed you did it because they told me you were a suspect and we went fishing at Lake Worth. I could be wrong about the date we went to Lake Worth, but there's nothing I can do about it now. Wow. What a bitch. I can't even. I can't even. I think she just justified what she did by the fact that I was such a terrible husband. 
I was abusive and ran around all the time. I was only 19 years old when we got married. I was way too young to get married because I was so naive and immature. I came from a real small town and being in the city made me feel like I needed to run around all the, all the time. This is the most important part. Since the trial, my family and I have received numerous phone calls and letters from people saying they know I'm innocent because they know who did the bombing and why it was done. I believe the fact that no one could ever determine the motive is the reason they couldn't solve the crime. I've been in contact with these people who wrote and called my family. They have told me what the motive was, who did it, and why the motive was never determined. Yes, I have found out who the real murderers are, but they will remain free to commit more murders unless the investigation is reopened. No one will listen to me because, because the case has been closed. The case has been closed, but the crime was not solved. The people who committed this terrible crime live in the Fort Worth area. As far as I'm concerned, no one is safe until the real murderers are brought to justice. I'm doing everything I can to try to make that happen. The Blount family deserves to know the truth and they deserve the real murderers to be brought to justice. I've never in my life been to the scene of this crime. I didn't know the victims. I've never even seen a bomb. I told the exact truth but it didn't make any difference. I'm only 34 years old. In 1985, I would have been only 19 years old. When they first accused me, I thought it was absolutely ludicrous. It defies common sense. I believe the state and the ATF used me as a pawn to close a case they couldn't solve. Well, I'm not gonna sit back and let them murder an innocent man if I can help it. I will do everything I can to expose the truth and bring the true murderers of the Blount family to justice, true justice. If there's anyone out there who cares enough to stop the murder of an innocent man, help expose the truth and bring the true murderers of the Blount family to justice, Please join my struggle and help me. I am in a desperate situation. I'm scared beyond description. I don't want to be put to death for a crime I knew nothing about. Please help me. I may not be a perfect person, but I'm not a murderer. I've been in a lot of trouble since 1989, but nothing like this. Please help me expose the truth. Sincerely and respectfully, Michael R. Tony. December 17th, 2008. So that's my, my B-Day. So we had Dre's B-Day and now we have yeah. my B-Day. December 17th, 2008, the Texas Court of Appeals ruled that the lead prosecutor in the case withheld 
15 pieces of evidence Ooh. that were key no. to Michael's defense. <gasps> Ooh. Holy shit. Michael's conviction was overturned. <gasps> wow. January. 10 years. 10 oh. years. January 2009, the district attorney's office recused itself from the case to avoid the appearance of impropriety, said District Attorney Joe Shannon. The attorney general's office then took over and reopened an investigation. Michael Tony remained in jail because charges were still pending. He also had to post a $25,000 bail on an unrelated charge at a Polk County because he allegedly had a cell phone on death row. After 10 years on death row on September 2nd, 2009, Michael was released after the state of Texas dropped all charges. Yeah, they fucked up. They did. His release came a day before the attorney general had to declare whether the state would again seek the death penalty in this case. State prosecutor Adrian McFarlane said in a dismissal motion that there was not enough time to complete an independent investigation before the Thursday deadline. The state can refile charges if the investigation warrants it. In a statement released Thursday through his attorney, Michael Tony thanked his friends, family, and lawyers for their support. I have said it all along that I am innocent of these charges, and I know that when the attorney general reviews the evidence, it will show that I am indeed innocent, he said. So conviction overturned. They still held him until September right? Nine months, mm -hmm. right? Trying to decide if they're going to wow. charge him. They, the day before they had to make this decision, they just released him. And basically like dicks were like, well, we, we can still recharge him, right? <laughs> they're not going to say that they messed up, that they did anything wrong. They never do that, right? Wow. They mm -hmm. never take responsibility. So he gets released September of 2009. And he's, you know, excited he's been on death row for 10 years like this is his chance finally to kind of start life at this point on saturday morning of october 3rd 2009 michael tony lost control of his pickup truck while driving causing it to roll over and ejecting michael from the vehicle no. michael tony died Oh, One no. month what after his release. <gasps> this case remains unsolved. God, that's terrible. Yeah. Mm. So this Thanksgiving, love your family and friends. Be glad you're not on death row. Ugh, right. I hate this story. It's a terrible story. I'm sorry. Oh my god! <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yay, uh, he's released!" Oh yeah, he died. God, that's so horrible. It's Fuck a up. heartbreaking story on so many levels so because the Blount family really doesn't know what mm -hmm. happened. 
this man spent 10 years on death row and then he dies. It was, it was less than a month after his release. Mm. This story remains unsolved. And I hate that district attorneys can't take responsibility ever for fucking up. They just won't do it. it. It's crazy. I don't, I think I mentioned this before I watched trial four on Netflix Mm-hmm. you know about yeah. the mm-hmm. wrongfully accused and it really these stories stay with me mm-hmm. it drives me crazy when someone does you know 20 30 years for something that they didn't do it, it just right. it drives me nuts it really does it's really yeah. hard for me so that this is a crazy story too mm-hmm. yes it's heartbreaking yeah and this there's it it's mind-blowing how many stories there are yeah people doing time people being on death row it's it's terrifying it really is so stories like that really get me Mm -hmm. so this is a crazy thanksgiving one i hope that it is solved someday Yeah. yeah you know it's crazy in his story how he talked about knowing who did it and what the motive is what where is that information right Right? like if his family got that information has that not been been looked into Mm -hmm. i mean he died in 2009 nothing has been worked on i don't know it just it just kind of crazy it's crazy to me so happy thanksgiving (laughs) y'all happy thanksgiving All right, let's buckle up for some paranormal Fatima. Mm-hmm. So I've wanted to do this story for a really, really, really long time. Um, it's been in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, I need to figure out when I'm going to do it. And reading it, I realized that this happened on Thanksgiving Day. Well, part of it happened on Thanksgiving no Day. No like, way. Okay, so I'm like, cool. Like, this is perfect. Thanksgiving special. Yeah, this is perfect okay. to tell us the story. So I want to give a shout out to medium.com. Um, I just loved how they told this story. They just told it um, you can go onto many different websites and you can, you can see, you know, hear this, read how the story happens, um, see how the story happens on YouTube and whatever. But I just love the way they uh, phrased it. So I'm giving them a shout out. Most of my notes are from them. Um, and the reason why it affected me the way it did is because um, they called it the beautiful stranger. And then after that, they said, the hopeless death of Kate Morgan. And to me, that like kind of got to me because you're saying, oh, she's just a beautiful stranger. And then you find out she died and it was a hopeless death. So that was kind of sad. So this is the story of Kate, Kate Morgan and also about the Hotel Del Coronado, which is in uh, San Diego. Well, it's in Coronado, on Coronado Island, south of San Diego, um, but it's in the San Diego area and you have to go over a big bridge to it. It's this beautiful wooden hotel that it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I can hear I you. apologize, everybody who's listening. I muted myself <laughs> to put my hair up. I was saying, Timo, I've always wanted to go there. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I thought... I thought Dre was saying she couldn't hear me. And I'm like, oh, damn, here I am just like, talking along and nobody can hear me. No, no, she was okay. She was talking. She was talking. <laughs> and I was like, I can't hear you. 
Okay, good. Okay. So you've always wanted to go. Me too. I've never been. Uh-huh. I totally want to go. Um, it's a fancy place. Oh, it's, it's, it's a little pricey, it. pricey, man. Oh, yeah. So today's, this is just a little side note. Today's rates are like 600 to like 3500 <gasps> What? Okay, we got to do the low ball one. <laughs> I know, right? I wonder, can we, I wonder if they the give military now? discounts? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We'll check that Let's out because it's it. like right near like some type of base. I think the Navy. Yeah. Base. I'm yeah. Right there. Yeah. Military discount. Hey, yeah, I got okay. that card. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a AAA discount. I can right? give you. We'll hook okay. them all up. Okay. We'll do them all. <laughs> yeah. And then we got to stay also in Kate Morgan's room because that's the most haunted. Ooh. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you I about you her that's... life. I'm going to tell you about her life and the history and all, all that good stuff. Um, this is kind of like maybe going into your territory a little bit, uh, Red. It's kind of like a murder mystery kind of maybe. Yes, I've, um, heard, kind of I've heard about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So another thing that they say, she checked in and she never checked out. That's horrible, but that's exactly what happened. So on Thanksgiving Day, Thursday, the 24th, 1892. Wow. Uh, she... Uh, went to stay at the Hotel Del Coronado. Now the Hotel Del Coronado uh, sits on um, the pristine beach of Coronado Island, just south of San Diego, California. At that time it was brand spanking new. It was built in 1888. So it was like the luxury of luxuries. I had no idea it was so old. It is, and it's all wooden. So it's like, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And it's white with red roofing. It's just absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. So y'all, it's in the late 19th century and us women weren't exactly treated like we should have been treated back in those days you're blowing my mind i know i'm gonna blow it even more because they had a door specifically for unaccompanied ladies get out (laughs) you've got to be kidding me and it like raised a red flag when a woman was traveling by herself. OMG. And you guys, there she I was. would go through the front door. I'd be like, I do what I want. Right. I don't need a man. Give me a room. So unfortunately, she walked through this door. The staff oh was concerned. Gosh. But then she said, hey, I'm meeting my brother. My brother is on his way. So don't worry. Mm-hmm. His oh, name is Dr. <laughs> Anderson. So put me in my room and you have nothing to worry about. That's so crazy. I know. And then she also then said, you know what? He left me an orange to go hang out and do what he needed to do. And now we're joining back up again at the hotel. So you guys don't need to worry about me. So as she walked in, she was dressed to the nines but she had no luggage. She just had her little satchel, which was kind of bizarre. And Mm -hmm. she registered herself under uh, Mrs. Lottie A. Bernard of Detroit, Michigan. And there is, I will post it, the actual registration where you hand her name. And that's Mm -hmm. how she registered. So she was Miss Lottie. So we're going to talk for now. We're going to call her her Lottie. Okay. Okay. they put her in room 302. Uh, since then, that room has changed to room 3519. And now currently it's room 3327. So that is the room that we need to visit is 3327. There's okay. almost 800 rooms in this hotel, FYI. Okay. 
So she mostly remained in her room uh, during her stay. And she stayed there for five, for five, let's say she stayed there for five days. So most of the time she just hung out in her room and there was a housekeeper that would visit her on a daily basis. And she became friends with the housekeeper. And later on the housekeeper was interviewed and they asked her what she learned about Lottie. Uh, she said she learned that she was 24 years old. She learned that she was suffering from stomach cancer and she spoke Aww. real sadly about her health and that she knew that she probably was not going to recover from this. And uh, so she kind of took pity on her and she just became friends with her and she helped her out. Uh, Lottie would go downstairs to the desk every day and she would ask if her brother had given notice that he was on his way. And the answer was always no. So just, just added to her loneliness and her sadness. Aww. And then one day she made the trip inland to Hotel Brewster. Now this is a, a historic hotel in San Diego. It was built in the late 1800s, but it was torn down in 1934. And now it's kind of like a strip mall kind of thing. But she had asked to see a doctor and Mrs. Anderson, but they said no one was staying there, registered under that name. And then she grew more depressed. So at this point, we don't really know who these people are, why they were staying at the Brewster or, or what the situation was going on. So on the fourth day of her stay, uh, she told her friend, the maid, that she wanted to take a two hour bath to try and ease her pain from her stomach cancer. And the housekeeper said that, no, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you should stay in a bath that long. I don't think that's a great idea. But she talked her into it and the, and the maid ran her a bath. So an, after an hour into the bath, she called the bellman and she, um, she wanted him to rub her head. Now, I guess this was a thing back in those days that hotels <laughs> offered, but unfortunately what? the Hotel Del Coronado <laughs> did not offer this service. So the bellman's name was Harry West. <laughs> you could just ask someone <laughs> to rub to your come head. In and yeah, rub their head, I, just so like bizarre. Yeah, so I would bizarre. like to try this, you know, for fun. <laughs> I know. I would rather have my feet rubbed in my head, but I don't know. What? Weirdness. Weird. So she called Harry West up to her room anyways, and she offered him one day's wages to run some peculiar errands for her. Um, now, we don't really know what those errands were exactly, but he did say that she was acting very nervous. She was very unhinged. Her hair was soaking wet. And they kind of said maybe she had tried to drown herself at that point. Maybe calling him into her room was asking for uh, like a cry for help, oh, but we okay. will never know. So alone and maybe abandoned, she sent a telegram to a man named G.L. Allen of Hamburg, Iowa, and she asked him for $25, but there was no immediate response that came. $25. What is that? Like a million dollars in today's Yeah, money? probably. Yeah. That seems like a, a lot big of chunk money. Of change. It was a big chunk of change back yeah. then. Mm -hmm. So since he didn't respond to her telegram right away, she ended up feeling, and these are their exact words, they use melancholy and absolute panic. So Monday the 28th, so she was there on Thursday all the way now, we're hitting Monday the fifth day. 
she asked the bellman one more time if she had been, uh, if she had a message from her brother. And of course the answer was no. And she responded with, no one comes to me anymore. Oh and my God. stuck in oh. his head for like ever, right? Cause he's like, oh gosh, this lady's like really, really bad. So she decided to go down to town that day and she ended up going into a gun shop and she bought an American Bulldog mm. 44 revolver. She took the ferry back over to uh, Hotel Del Coronado on the island. She told the ferryman goodbye, which was very strange to him. And then a storm rolled in. So later that evening, she walked out into the veranda and she stood there staring at the ocean in the pouring rain. The oh. staff was kind of like, what's going on with this chick? She wore a black lace headscarf and she just basically just stared into the sea, which was about 15 feet away. So she is rough, right? Yeah, she is rough. super depressed. She, she is it. not yeah. doing well. Right, right. Poor thing. So the I'll next morning, yeah. So the next morning, the hotel electrician David Cohn was uh, kind of walking around the premises, and he noticed that there was this black thing like on the steps going down towards the the beach. And as he got closer, he realized that it was a woman in a black clothing laying across the steps, and she was dead. She had oh, no. a 44 American Bulldog revolver two inches from her right hand and a gunshot wound to her right temple. Mm. The staff verified that it was Miss Lottie. Oh, honey, baby, there's always a way out. Oh, God. When people commit suicide, oh, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. It yeah. breaks my heart. Yeah. So the deputy coroner Stetson quickly ruled it as suicide, even though he did not perform an autopsy. And the reason for not doing that is because where the gun was found, where the wound was found, it basically told enough about the cause of death. So police hmm. searched her room to see if they could find any information on how to notify a relative of her death. And in the interim, they found Quanine pills. Now, quanine pills are used to treat malaria, which was kind of bizarre. What? Yeah. And then they also found that she had burned a bunch of letters in her room. So, of course, back in those days, that's how you corresponded with, with you know, mail. So she had burned a bunch of letters. They went through them. They found an envelope that was a, a, addressed to a Lottie Anderson Bernard there was also the name of a Lillian Russell and then a statement that said, I don't know any such man. Now, these were all, in, you know, cryptic, you know, spread about all the burnt paperwork. So they really couldn't put anything together. Unfortunately, they were unable to locate anybody in Detroit, Michigan that matched her description. So basically, at this point, she is Lottie, but no one knew who Lottie was. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. They finally did find a Lottie A. Bernard, but she was alive and well and living in Detroit, Michigan. So now wow. she's a oh. Jane Doe. <sighs> and obviously she used that name as an alias. So mm -hmm. the police asked Johnson and Company, which they were called 
Johnson and Company's Undertaking Rooms. That was the undertaker to do a sketch of her and they published this picture across the nation. And this was the description, height five and a half feet, fair complexion, medium length black hair, two small moles on left cheek, broad features, high cheekbones, brown eyes, 150 pounds, 24 to 26 years of age, good teeth, third finger, gold ring, blue stones in the center with four pearls, black corsets, and a large black hat. So that's how they describe Wow. Her. And someone was going to read that and be like, oh, I know who this is. Yeah. But then they also had a illustration picture of her face. Wow. Okay. Just her basically with her eyes closed. It's a very just very. Not a great yeah, picture. No, sure. Yeah, no. Okay. So in December 1892 in Detroit, Michigan, a Mrs. Wiley saw the sketch and immediately knew it was her daughter, Lizzie. She was convinced that it was her no. and she had been missing for six weeks. So newspapers just published this everywhere that the, the Jane Doe had been positively identified as Lizzie Wiley or Willie. And police at this point still had doubts. But then Mr. G.L. Allen, you know, the guy that she sent the uh, telegrams to finally replied to them to the hotel and he confirmed that he knew who Mr. Anderson was, but he didn't know who she was. But he ended up sending the 25 bucks anyways, because he said it was oh. just basically charity. So wow. now they're like, what oh. the fuck? What is happening? <laughs> he just sent a million dollars? Okay. Mr. <laughs> Anderson ain't, ain't all that. Just wait till you hear what this motherfucker oh, was doing. Okay. Happens. Okay. Uh -oh. So there were just some discrepancies, especially with the moles. Uh, both women did have moles on the left um, cheek. They were kind of not in the same places where they should be. But Lizzie Willie had pierced ears and the body that was found did not. So okay. you can't really fake that. Pierced ears, right. not yeah. pierced ears. Right. So then... Mrs. Willie received a letter from her daughter, Lizzie, who was staying in Toronto <gasps> and let her know she was never coming home. Peace out, bitch. So oh, here we go no. again. Oh, not Lizzie. And then Medium put it as, once again, the beautiful stranger was nameless. So sad, right? <sighs> so newspapers reported that the woman was not Willie. And this part is like bananas, y'all. So, and creepy, the unidentified woman was then embalmed. So she's been dead for quite a while, but then they decided to embalm her and place her in the window no. of the undertaker's Stop. shop. Oh. So passersby can see if they could identify her. Uh, <laughs> it's a couple, at least a month, maybe six weeks, I would say. This is more yeah. body. And they had her on ice, I'm sure, because that, they didn't have, uh, like, electricity uh, and all that So people stuff, are you know? just walking by and the dead body staring at them? Mm, uh, like, yeah. He's a dead. Who thought of this idea? <laughs> so somebody at a meeting was like, hear me out. I've got an idea. And then somebody else was like, oh, um, yes, let's do that. And you let's know. Let's put the yeah. dead body out. I've been to many funerals, <laughs> and we 
today's time, our embalming skills have really, really gotten better than back in the, you know, early 1900s. Oh. I'm sure she did not look like how she did no. when she was alive. So I don't know how I'm you can identify her. Yeah. Yeah, and I then, agree. How long know. was she sitting there? Yeah, how long? I like, don't know. I don't she's know. Not in, All these changes in the window. I mean, they were at a loss. Oh, Maybe they thought they Imagine would get lucky. I don't know. We're like, we're going to brunch and we're walking along the street and like, oh shit! <laughs> what the fuck? Ruin my day. Ruin I know my that brunch. girl. I know who that is. Oh my god! Dang. Yeah. This is disturbing as. Uh, okay, but we're gonna find out who she is. Okay, so in Los oh, Angeles, Mr. Grant. He lived at 917 South Hill Street in Los Angeles. He was missing his favorite maid. He was very, very worried. On 11-23, Katie Logan told him that she needed to go to San Diego to have some documents signed and she would be back before Thanksgiving. She was in good spirits. She left all her belongings. All she carried with her was a satchel. And he oh. kind of knew, okay, she's going to be back because all she has is just her she didn't take back. anything. Mm-hmm. But she never returned. So <laughs> Mr. Grant informed the police that maybe she was the identified woman. So they came to his property. They opened up her trunks. And in the trunks, they found old photos, locks of a baby's hair, and a marriage certificate. The marriage certificate said the groom was Thomas E. Morgan. And the bride was Katie K. Farmer, both from Hamburg, Iowa. Who oh, heard that town before? No. So Katie Logan is identified as Mrs. Kate Morgan. Kate and Thomas were estranged at that time because she was cheating on him with his stepbrother, G. L. Allen. <gasps> The one that sent them million dollars? Yeah, the million dollars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) said, I don't know who that wife, I don't know who the wife is. Yeah, right. Nobody sends $25 Mm -hmm. at a charity. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay. So Thomas and Kate had a real troubled relationship, but he was an excessive gambler. So he taught her how to become a scam artist. So what they would Uh, do is they would travel by train or stage up and down the coast of California. Kate would flirt with the rich men and then she would promise something more in the relationship if they could beat her brother at a card game. And of course they never won and they swindled them out of money. So one day on the train, they fought like you could not imagine. She got off in orange, he kept on going and that's when she obtained employment with Mr. Grant. And- Oh my goodness. I don't know what correspondence happened at that point, but she went to the, the Hotel Del Coronado to meet somebody. Maybe they were going to make up. Maybe they were going to, who knows what happened. But of course, he never showed up and we know what happened. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. was evidence that she did not have stomach cancer. This was all a story, but unfortunately she was well, She was pregnant. a con artist. <gasps> well, her stomach cancer was pregnancy. And oh! they have uh, figured out that those bizarre errands that she paid Mr. Harry West to do was to purchase her a sponge, a bottle, camper, and quinine pills. 
which creates and induce uh, to induce a miscarriage. So this is, is probably a D D I Y. It's a DIY abortion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So since the body was still at the undertakers, they basically at this point needed to bury her. They, they kind of mostly identified her as Kate Morgan. They found that she, uh, as a young child, she went to go live with her grandfather. They found the grandfather, uh, J.W. Chandler. They sent him a telegram to let them know that his granddaughter had passed away. His uh, response was, bury her and send me the bill. <gasps> Nice response, Jeepaw. So poor Kate is buried in San Diego at Mount Hope Cemetery. She had a short service attended by several local women, no family, no friends. Oh, that's my nightmare. So at this point now, I'm going to tell you about the paranormal. So basically she never left the Hotel Coronado. Okay. So... Uh, I also have a bunch of fun facts for you too. So throughout the hotel, especially in her room, you feel cold breezes, you hear weird sounds. You always smell that like old tiny perfume smell, doors open and close. You actually see Kate's apparition at times, TVs turn on and off, all the good fun stuff. And then in the souvenir shop, the gift shop in the hotel stuff flies off the shelves all the time like people that work there will come in and they have to pick up all this stuff and there'll be like little glass figurines <laughs> glasses mugs nothing gets broken wow. nothing gets broken but they always find stuff that has fallen super far off the shelves that's so for attention it's, it's that for attention, attention. Uh-huh. for sure Attention, yeah. she obviously did not get in my <laughs> No, poor girlfriend. So mm. uh, footsteps are heard everywhere. Um, she's uh, seen walking through the hallways. She's seen in the resort's garden or walking along the beach in, of course, her Victorian garb. Sure. Um, one time, uh, people said that they came into their bedroom and they had their pillow stacked in the middle of their bed like a pyramid. Bananas. What? Yeah. Like the pillows just mm. like stacked up into like a pyramid. <laughs> and then Weird. I guess they do something special on Valentine's Day. Of course, it's a beautiful place. So on Valentine's Day, the year 2000, many, many couples throughout the night had their sheets ripped off of them. Not just one, but quite a few of the couples that were staying there had that done to them. So crazy. Um, A man checked in. He put luggage on his, uh, the bed. He went to the restroom and when he came back, all his luggage was opened and everything was thrown about the room. He said, yeah, get me out of here. He asked for another room. Uh, The sinks turn on and off in her room. The pipes rattle. They hear whispers and then hello. They see a face appear of a woman in the TV when it is off. Oh, oh hell no. So uh, I'm going to take no. you into the future a, a little bit. There is a attorney by the name of Alan May. In 1990, he published a book called The Legend of Kate M. And he felt so sorry for her because her grave was unmarked. So he actually bought her a tombstone. 
but was he, nice. But he basically uh, wanted to reopen the case because he found out that the uh, bullet found in her skull did not match the caliber of the gun no. that was found near her Shut body. Up. So what the fuck? Okay, right. So because they never did the autopsy, they just basically ruled it a suicide. This is definitely not a suicide. So who the fuck killed Kate Morgan? So did wow. this man come? Did he finally meet her? And did he, um, you know, basically said, you're not having my kid, bitch. And, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so let me tell you a, a few oh, yeah. more scary little paranormal things before I go into the fun facts. So there are also ghosts of a little boy and a little girl that seen. They're running up and down the staircases, and they are also heard laughing and running in the hallways. There is an old caretaker that uh, walks around the dining room just checking it out. There is a Victorian lady. We're not sure if this is Kate Morgan or not, but she glides across the dance floor like she's dancing. Creepy. Um, the owner and builder of the hotel, his name was E.S. Babbitt. He actually kept his mistress in the hotel. And when she found out that she was pregnant, he did not want anything to do with her. So she killed herself. She was in room 502. That room is now 3502. And that room is very haunted as well. Wow. Um, her body went missing after that. They never found her body. So yeah. What? Mm, shady. Yeah. The body uh, gone? Yeah. Cleaning staff Is it will in only a window? work. <laughs> uh, cleaning staff will only work in pairs. Um, <laughs> when you uh, walk along those steps where Kate Morgan's body was found, you feel anguish and you feel like lost hope. You feel helpless. You feel very depressed. Um, there is room 3312. You can see the curtains swaying back and forth many, many times. The windows are not open. The screens fall off all the time. They have no reason why these screens should be falling off. And then a low glow will show up at night when no one is staying in that room. And then when the fog grows in, so now this is an island in the middle of the Pacific, I mean, not far off the coast. So there is quite a lot of fog. Whenever the fog rolls in, activity just heightens like bananas. Huh. And then in May of 1983, Secret Service agent for Vice President Bush um, didn't last the whole night in room 3502 oh. because of the crazy <laughs> shit that happened. Now that is hilarious. Oh, I because love it. This is a that's Secret crazy. Service agent that's supposed to protect the vice president and he got scared shitless of a ghost. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> I love it. I and then they, mm -hmm. they, I don't know if they're doing that this year or not, but they throw an extravagant Christmas party every year. Yes. And the staff make sure to leave an invitation to Kate Morgan every year. So oh. I think that's oh, great. Geez. Okay, so a couple of, um, I know I have this in my notes here. I just want to tell you that that guy, the attorney that wanted to reopen the case, he was staying in Kate Morgan's room and she appeared to him in the TV and took him back to the time of her murder and he saw who killed her. 
this is what he's saying. And I think this is in the book that he read. So I I'm was he on curious. acid? I don't the know. But, yeah, he was tripping balls. Yeah. I mean, I want to read, I want to read that book because I think that'd be really cool yeah. like, to hear like mm-hmm. what his side of the story. Okay, so mm-hmm. fun facts. Hotel Del Coronado hosted many, many, many famous people. Uh, the Marilyn Monroe movie, Some Like It Hot, was filmed there with Jack Lemon mm-hmm. and Tony Curtis. Such a great movie. It's so oh, great. I love it. Ten presidents uh, stayed there. Uh, Thomas Edison stayed there. And Albert Einstein stayed there. In um, Okay, yeah, so here it is. In the 1980s, San Francisco-based lawyer Alan May investigated the cold case and found that the bullet in her skull did not match the gun, but they never reopened the case, which sucks because I guess mm-hmm. they, I, I don't know. It was a long time ago, you know what I mean? Everyone's it, it, dead. Yeah. So at the time that the hotel opened in the late 1800s, a room, so I told you what rooms cost right now, a room cost $2 to $2.50 a night. And that included a dinner in the grand crown Damn. room yeah so now it's anywhere from 600 to 300 um or 3500 a night there's 757 rooms uh okay so some of the famous people james stewart babe ruth brad pitt keanu reeves president yes. howard taft mm-hmm. kennedy carter and reagan 12 films have been filmed there i told you some like it hot um the stump man my blue heaven and Wicked Wicked, which I have not seen, but that is a horror film from 1973. I'm going to check that out. Um, a few more little fun facts for you here. Um, okay, so Alan May claimed to be, oh, he claimed to be a descendant of Kate Morgan. And in his The Legend of Kate Morgan, that's when he found the, uh, he said that she appeared to him in the television set. Mm-hmm. Uh so the Hotel Del Coronado had the first oil furnace, the first electrical lights, the first wow. ever outdoor Christmas tree, and the Ooh. crown room ceiling, which is totally of wood, was put together by glue and pegs. I don't know if it no, is still today. That sounds like it would but take if we go there, we gotta, yeah, we got to check it's that like out. It's like Ikea. I know. Yeah, right? put that shit together. Lots of couples <laughs> broke up after yeah. uh, trying to put that ceiling together. <laughs> so the original grounds back then included a yacht club, an Olympic-sized salt water swimming pool, which is like that's today's thing. That was very mm-hmm. bizarre that they had back then. Fancy. A Japanese tea garden, an ostrich farm, and <laughs> tennis courts. I love mm. it. Of course, we need the ostrich farm. And this then I'm going to end it with this. This is so fun, you guys. Uh, I got this from RoadsideAmerican.com. Popcorn like gazillionaire Orville Rettenbacher lived there from 1976 until his death in 1995 at what? the age of what? 88. And he hasn't popped up yet in the hotel. Oh, that is crazy. <laughs> I see the pun there. I see <laughs> so there you go, Kate Morgan and the Hotel Del Coronado. Good job, awesome. team. Damn. I just learned yeah. so much. Oh. <laughs> Love that story. I mean, it's sad. It's a sad story, too, but um, hopefully yeah. she found a some lot solace. Of ghosts and she's are yeah. staying at that oh, hotel bananas, for free. Right? 
Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Everyone else is paying a shit ton of money at night and they're just doing whatever the fuck. I guess when I die, I will also stay at the Hotel Del Coronado. Right on the beach? Why not? <laughs> Come on, it's beautiful. Hell yeah. 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 Just do it. Do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So you you know, you do a lot of this this paranormal stuff. Does the fog and like the heaviness of the water have anything to do with like increased paranormal activity? You know, I any type of weather phenomenon is going to cause a lot of activity, especially when there's like uh, thunder, lightning, anything like that. So yeah, I probably think that since they're on an island, um, mm-hmm. the the fog rolling and you know, and fog is spooky as fuck, you guys. And right. I was just gonna yeah. say it probably just heightens yeah. people. You can't senses, see puts shit. Them on edge. Maybe mm-hmm. it gives you an outline of, you know, your, the spirits. I mean, maybe because of the heaviness of the air, maybe you can see spirits better. I don't know. There's been so many scary movies made with fog. So yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't doubt it. Creepy. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's scary. It is creepy. It's scary. It is scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fog is. freaks me out. Driving in fog. Oh God. Yeah. Get get out. Forget it. Forget get it. Out. Yeah. The worst. You know, there is, the and I, I want to like reach out to our, our listeners if they know, I've searched for this a million times. I was a big um, Elvira fan when I was a kid. Yes, and she, I wanted her boobs. Yeah, she used to I have know. her like Saturday <laughs> show where she would like show like like three, two or three different shows. And yeah. there was this horror movie, one of the shows, it was so great. I loved it, but it had, the only part I remember is there was a young girl in a car and she's driving up this driveway and there's thick fog. And then these like people, weird ass people were like coming at the car in out of the fog. And that's all I remember. So Freaky. I guess I'm going to have to watch like all 599 million Elvira I mean, shows. To find, yeah. To find the one I want. And it's all on Amazon prime. So I, I, I got it. So I'll just have to take the time out to watch it. Wow. I watching her I when I was a that. kid. I love yeah. her. Yeah, she's I remember fine that. as I think... fuck still to this day, you guys. Oh, yeah. I saw yeah. I saw yeah. that picture. Yeah. Damn. Good jeans. Good uh-huh. jeans. Shitballs. Mm. Come on. I dig Elvira. Girl, mm-hmm. that was a good story. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Woo, woo. Ooh, now it's time for a bad Woo. Is it a turkey right. story? What did that turkey not. do? Is it a frozen turkey? <laughs> it's not a turkey story, but I do have a little bit of turkey tidbits for you guys later after the uh, story. Turkey okay. tidbits. Turkey tidbits. <laughs> not the gizzard, the tidbits. So uh, we're going over to South Carolina with this wonderful couple by the name of James and Clarissa Munford, and they purchased a home. And after a few days after the sale was finalized, they discovered a literal treasure. So the former owners, (laughs) I don't know. No, I don't think it was Uh, a briefcase, but it was very well hidden. One million dollars. No, it's fifteen thousand dollars. Can you imagine? No. Can you imagine? Hell so, yeah! And it wasn't—it wasn't in dollar bills. It was in freaking gold and silver coins. 
like a freaking treasure like a legitimate treasure really really so i want that um, to happen i want right i want fifteen thousand dollars give it to me house so um you know they purchased a home the previous owners lived in this house for 32 years (gasps) right 32 years so they Mm. hid this treasure somewhere in their house and they cleaned it top to bottom they did what the owners that lived in this house before me did for me and they like cleaned it top to bottom they even Uh asked me for the keys and said like can you leave the keys so we can do the carpet before you guys come in wow their carpet was so that is really nice wow super super nice so because they were such nice people the Munfords were like well legally the money is ours fifteen thousand dollars but the right thing to do is what give it back so they freaking gave it back what if it wasn't theirs though awesome what if it wasn't theirs though what if it had been there for like (gasps) a long time I know, imagine, but it was theirs. It was the previous owners. They, they, they just they, forgot fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I had they, that I mean, problem. Like you live in a home for thirty-two years, and it's like Have I don't you, know when that happened. Where you did know? you put that fifteen thousand? You know what? I forgot where I put it. <laughs> right, right. It's just so crazy because you know it was like left in a built-in drawer. It wasn't like buried in the yard or anything like that it was like did you check the drawer no okay we're Mm. good you know (laughs) well good for them good for them that they didn't care about their fifteen thousand. that's fantastic but it was returned to them and you know the original owner said you reap what you sow so she says you know they spent a lot of time and effort making sure that the house was left in excellent condition and so a good deed was returned with another good deed Mm -hmm. super super sweet I can't believe it I've heard people returning all the time and I always think like damn it depends you know on the on the time like if you were to find fifteen thousand dollars that you knew belonged to somebody else what would you do with it give it I would give it back I would give it back but gold gold (laughs) bars like can you even like like, can I walk into Bank of America tomorrow and be like yeah I'd like to exchange my gold bars (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I think they would look at me like I was out of my mind I don't even know how I would go about doing that you know what I mean yeah they were and they were coins but I don't know how that happened like how does that work where did you get these fucking coins from right from the same yeah. yeah. With the yeah. They found treasure. It was a treasure. Oh my That's gosh. So cool. I don't know. They nice. are badass. They, the they did their right thing. Mm-hmm. They did. Yep. Yep. All right. So you all be badasses. Today is Thanksgiving. We're all going to eat somewhere in the realm of 3,000 to 4,000 calories mm. tonight. Yikes. <laughs> I don't think I can afford to do that. But I'm saying in Americans in general are going to eat. Look at you See the way Red's looking at me like, bitch, you better not eat that much. Damn, honey, weigh in. It's still Monday. Weigh in <laughs> still on Monday. I'm not speaking for myself. There's no way I'm going to eat that much. <laughs> hey, as long don't as I stay, quitting, as long as I stay within my 26 net carbs, 3,000 calories, <laughs> That is correct. That is the keto way. Yeah, that is the keto, that is the keto way. way. Uh-huh. We just unfortunately just cannot do my that. bacon fat down and I'm all good. <laughs> it's called health. Okay. It's the best fat. All right. So just keep this in mind. Okay. It will take you. Let's see. 
3,000 calories equals 10 hours of walking at four miles per hour. Oh, That's a brisk walk. Yeah. 3,000 calories is four hours of running at six miles per hour. It is nope. also 12 hours on an elliptical trainer. Nope. Six hours on the stationary bike. 17 mm -hmm. hours of yoga. Six and a half hours of step aerobics. Or 42 hours of sitting and watching TV. So these 3,000 calories. That's what I'll be doing, bitch. You. Yep. <laughs> for 42 hours. Yep. <laughs> Easy. Oh <So> turkey. <laughs> Six ounces of turkey is 340 calories. And is it? Danced. Yes. Six ounces, 340 calories. So you could dance or walk briskly for carbs. one hour to burn that off. Or you could have sex for two hours. Oh, you choose. Oh, I'll be doing that. That's, that. that. that's <laughs> how I work off my calories. Yeah. So mm -hmm. fun fact, women, women burn off three calories per minute having sex, but men burn off four calories per minute having sex. Mm -hmm. I think my heavy burns way more than that <laughs> well yeah he's <laughs> i'm pretty he lazy lost, he lost like 12 pounds in a week stop it no in three days bitch in oh, three yeah. days. okay so it. check it out check it out <laughs> i think i was like oh yay but i was still like what the mm -hmm. fuck right i know yeah and so now he won't tell me how much he's lost <gasps> he doesn't want me to get discouraged well, Whatever. the water weight leveled this. off and now it's like normal right. weight off. So now, yeah. no, I can already see. Yeah. I can already see a difference in his tummy tum. Man, it's men. Mm. It's men. It's not fair, man. It's not, it's not fair. fair. How hard have I worked to lose this 45? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, really? Like, it's yeah. been what, five months? Long. It's been hard. He like sneezed and he lost it. Mm. <laughs> he sure did. Uh, <laughs> Well, I am happy that he's doing it with me. It does make it easier. Yeah. It really and does. You guys are yes. working towards a healthier, you know, life. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. And, you yeah. know, he loves pickleball. Oh, your hubby still needs to, we still need to yes. get that together. So he loves pickleball and he feels like if he was lighter, it would definitely help his game. So he Which has is. that goal in mind. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yep. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm going to start yoga, y'all. I got, I, I want to do it. I want, I want to do it. Um, it's fun. Just, just to do the stretching because I, I don't yeah. know. I just feel like I like, you know, like I told you y'all, I worked in my garden on Sunday for five hours. The next day I was just like a wreck and yeah. I, I want to be able to like bend down and then not be sore the next day. So I we'll think try they that. Have, I have yoga on Amazon prime. Honey. They do. They do. Yeah. 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 Oh, you yeah. have a yoga mat. If you mat, ever want, if you ever want to go to the studio, I have socks. I have the block. I have everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's all You're wrapped ready. up in a nice little yeah, package from it. the store. Still, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. I'm so proud of you, Timo. You guys great. First, do it. first step. First step. <laughs> it's it's good for the soul. It is, and I really need that right yeah. now. I really need that like namaste, you know, so I can like. I'm like, so glad. Yeah. I am so glad you're bringing this up because I wanted to mention to y'all that uh, Deepak and Oprah are doing their 21 day meditation challenge, and it's oh, free. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh just yeah. Go, yeah. Go yeah. Online, okay. Just you know, Google uh, Oprah Deepak yeah. 21 day. 
it's free. And so it's each day and it really teaches you how to meditate. It does right? teach it's, you. That's what I want to, I want to learn how to do I that. I love yeah. it. So my I mind think, goes 5 million miles a minute. And I don't think that okay. I could sit there and meditate and free my mind from fucking, you know, whatever. But well, we'll I think practice. that this is going <laughs> to blow your mind, but uh-huh. I do have ADD, right? I, <laughs> I do. Right. I, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> you, you know that we knew this, I, I, right? Like, I mean, this, we found this out back when I was 13 and I didn't get medicated for it until way later on in life. But I had the hardest time when I first started meditating to quiet my mind. And it's like a muscle, like you learn how to do it. And I feel like because I put in the time working on it, it's so much easier in any situation just to stop like and pull myself together than before I did meditation. Does that make sense? Like yeah, for sure. I learned how to do it. It teaches you how to do it, but okay, you have cool. to work on it. Yeah. yeah. It's not easy in the beginning because I'll start thinking about my to-do list or whatever. Yeah. You know what's you know so what weird I mean? is now that I realized when I was gardening for those five hours, I had nothing in my mind about all the drama mm-hmm. that's going on. It was just like yeah. chill. So I probably yeah. can do it. If I could probably do it. Yeah. That's awesome. You can yeah, do I don't, anything. You can do it. I don't know a world where my brain's not going 500 miles an hour. Right. Mm, I don't. Yeah. It's terrible. It's so good for you to like try and work on it. Mm-hmm. Be present, my loves. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. I love this Thanksgiving special. Lots of Thanksgiving mm-hmm. tidbits, a really messed up story that left us feeling sad inside, a fun paranormal story. It's all good. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, it's 2020. So we have to do something that's yeah. going to kind of like shake things up a little bit, kind of make us like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh, y'all. <laughs> so you guys, while you're working out, on the elliptical for six hours to burn <laughs> off that thing. Or having dinner. sex for two. Or watching right. TV for four right. to two hours. That's right. right. You can be Yo, a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. All of you guys can be hand, uh, hand puffer badasses, right? Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. YouTube, uh, just take the uh, a moment during your workout to check out our Patreon page and maybe you guys would like to support us. And we just love hearing from everyone when you message us, it makes our day, it makes us feel so special. It was kind of a trip, you know, to run into somebody the other day, T- Timo and I ran in to someone uh, who said that she listened to us all the time. And it was oh. like, it you know, you don't know what to say at first, but it was really nice and it felt good. And, you know, check out our website. It's handcuffsandsagepodcast.com. And you guys can email us, handcuffsandsage at gmail.com. I just, it's so nice to get feedback from people. It, I love it. Mm-hmm. It feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, we take our time to do this. We all have crazy lives, but it's so nice to get support and love from, from everyone listening. It makes us want to do it more, right? Yes. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Woo. Try and get these girls uh, 
to uh, maybe record in a couple days for our down the rabbit hole, but we'll see. We'll see how oh, it goes. Oh no, Timo smokes <laughs> crack. <laughs> She's a crack addict. We have a four day weekend, so let's see what happens. Okay, let's see. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, are you guys ready? I think so. And remember, we, we do, do what, what we, we want. want. We, do what we, want. we do what we want. Yep. Do it, do it baby. Do it, Happy do it. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Love you. Love, Love you. you. Love you all. See you. Bye. Bye. Handcuffs and Sage is hosted by Red, Timo, and Dre in a shitty guest room in Los Angeles. Theme music is Leave Now by We Are Wasted. Cover art done by Megan Winchester. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Show some love on iTunes. Be a badass and do what you want. Until next time.